So let's get to it. Uh, let's quickly start with um, who we all are and why this um, whole webinar series exists and who is behind it. So first of all, this is the first episode of season two. Season one, if you've already been part of it, um, was called Fireside Chats. Now we rebranded it to Let's uh, Talk UX. And um, as I said, this is the very first episode. So welcome, um, writing history together with us. And um, so basically, who, we're still the same people behind it. Um, first of all, uh, me, I'm Sandro. I'm working at uh, Testing Time um, here in Zurich. We are a, a study participants um, recruiting agency. We have a pool of 350,000 people. And if you need uh, study participants in the UK, Germany, Switzerland, France, Netherlands, um, we can deliver them to you in 48 hours. And our partner um, for a couple of years now already is UX Live um, and the partner company behind UX Live, Tech Circus. And um, actually, UX Live is um, a big conference that's uh, happening, like a three-day conference that's happening in London uh, in November. So this year, it's going to be from November 11th till November 13th. And actually, Steve is going to have a talk there. And so this is kind of a precursor to um, wet your tongue a little bit um, for um, what an interesting person he is and all the stuff he has done. And um, so it's going to take place at the uh, Excel Center in, in London. And actually, Mike from, um, from uh, Tech Circus will uh, share the link with you in the chat in a bit. Um, and so basically, what is it? Uh, UX Live is like uh, there's, there's going to be many uh, speakers. Um, there's going to be uh, workshops. There's going to be... So it's like a leadership stage, a, practice, a practitioner stage, and a panel stage. And um, it's mainly um, a conference for UX researchers and UX designers. Um, but you can check out the link. And there's also um, a small offer at the end um, where you can get uh, the tickets a little bit cheaper. Um, so I will share that with you at the end. So bear with me there. OK, uh, that's for that. And then now. To you, Steve, I, I have to almost read your accolades here, but I don't forget any. So uh, Steve, uh, or Boss, how they call him, we'll, we'll learn later why, um, has uh, built some of the most loved products and brands um, on this planet, I would say. So there is Lego, there is Alexander McQueen, the eccentric um, fashion label, Jamie Oliver, Skype. Microsoft. He worked at Microsoft after um, Skype has been bought. He's also on the board of the Design Council um, of the UK. Um, and then he's board of directors of the Design Business Association. And actually, one funny thing I saw um, is that um, Steve has designed some of my favorite, I hope you see my screen here, some of my favorite emoticons. I always really like this one. And I always really like this one. Um, and um, so, Steve, um, you have basically, when you, when you joined Skype, um, which apps have already existed? Because I definitely remember the desktop apps. But then when I kind of browse through what you've done on, on, on this website, is I saw, you know, there is apps. For, uh, uh, for Skype, for, for TVs. There, is, there was one integration with Facebook. Um, then there is, I think, for Xbox as well. And then you have for all the different um, uh, uh, mobile phone versions um, that are out there. And so well, my first question would be for you, how, how did you go about that? I mean, we talk a lot about design systems today and atomic design and all this kind of stuff like how so you started at skype and then um how did you think about that and welcome first so welcome steve the mic is yours well thank you very much sandro it's a pleasure to be with you all um, i hope you can all hear me okay um thanks for the questions um i hope this will be interesting for folks uh, i'll be very honest and upfront about my failings as well and the things that i've learned um Skype was a bit of a rocket ship. Uh, you probably remember in the back of the day, uh, 
it had probably been the most fastest growing app of all time uh, around sort of 2010. And uh, we had very early on cracked what is called the viral coefficient. Um, the viral coefficient is basically how many people does one user bring into the system and you're looking to get that as close to one. Uh, so you can never Skype alone. So of course our growth was double digits. We didn't actually have to do that much because we cracked that early on. So of course when you're looking at where people are using the app and their demands, we were very clear about listening to what apps and services people wanted. Um, at that time, the iPhone had only just come out, um, but it had no front-facing camera. The hardware, being blunt, wasn't quite up to the standards that we needed for Skype to work in a performant way. Um, so mobiles, up until that point, had been integrated largely through uh, Skype credit, which was you could actually integrate it mm. onto the most basic of phones. Um, they were hugely popular because you didn't need a contract or anything at those time. Um, what we what we rapidly realized as soon as we started going just beyond Windows into Mac and then onto other platforms that wanted these integrations is that, like you said, you needed a design system. Mm. Um, we Design systems hadn't matured at that time and they weren't necessarily called design systems, they were just called GUI kits. <laughs> And um, th we had numerous repositories for the GUI kits for the platforms that we were integrating. For example, Asus video phones, um, you know, the sort of things that you're now seeing from Google and Facebook, where it's just a pure VC machine with a calendar and email. Um, we'd done all of those very early on, and they were, they were hugely popular. Um, so the GUI kits, uh, had inherited certain properties of the platform, particularly when you went into TVs and onto um, very low bit uh, basic phones. Some were even black and white um, mm -hmm. because they were just doing audio calls. Um, what we had to establish was not necessarily the GUI kit, but actually it was the, f the app framework and the various states uh, that were very much needed to run a basic version of Skype. So you needed a contact list, you needed a chat state, and you needed a live state. Um, and then you needed all the bits that joined all that together, which was adding someone, all the error mechanisms, and then you needed all the management capabilities. Um, so that was really a large portion of the entire team's work, mm. um, was devising the app architecture with engineers. Um, once we cracked that, it was fairly easy to say what is the minimum uh, required to run Skype uh, on, a, on the most basic of devices. Um, and then what is the maximum supreme experience that we would want. And at that time, that was the desktop apps. Um, they had the most horsepower, uh, GPU, CPU, etc., cetera, uh, in order to run uh, and do decoding on the device um, because it was a peer-to-peer -peer network. So um, really, really impressive stuff. I can't speak highly enough of the amazing engineering talent at S Skype at the time. Um, they were real trailblazers. Um, but design's role at that time was uh, devising the GUI kits and the app yeah. architecture. Um, as we matured, um, and you know Skype's history just a little bit, I suppose we, we, we were bought and sold three times eBay, mm -hmm. then to private equity, Silver Lake, and then finally to Microsoft. Uh, it wasn't really until we joined Microsoft that we started our design system in earnest when uh, we uh, started devising Skype for web, uh, which is plug-in-less um, Skype uh, equipped. Um, and we devised uh, the system called Matter, which you've probably never heard of. It never got made public. Um, but it was very, very impressive, if I do say so myself. I did not build it. The team built it. Some wonderful minds that are still at Microsoft. Um, and it was really uh, one of the first things that we did was to um, create uh, the motion language and get that into uh, production-ready code. Um, 
I could wax lyrical about this all day, but I can <laughs> give you some names. Uh, Joe Phillips, Andres Kolar, <clears throat> uh, Macek, uh, Bobby Rayet, Mark McCroche, so many of these amazing brains actually devised plugins for the likes of um, uh, After Effects uh, for Illustrator, uh, for Sketch, that spat out production-ready code uh, for engineers to implement. Um, you've probably heard of Lottie, which is kind of uh, the, the basically the, mm -hmm. the public version of what we what we created, probably slightly better under the hood, admittedly. Um, and that was really the beginnings of a, of a design system where uh, engineers and designers were really kind of collaborating to make the UI as uh, consistent as possible across the platforms. Um, and of course, we had to do that in integrating with Microsoft at the same time, right? Which yeah. was which was going through a massive rebrand uh, in their Microsoft design language, and we were part of that team to help devise that. Um, so many, many moving parts. My second office was seat sixty K on B eight eighty seven to Seattle. I was there all, all the time. Um, so the complexity just went was exponential in terms of what the design system had to support across basically almost every platform on the planet. And I mean, so at that time, um, people just began to really fathom what design systems meant. And nowadays, even smaller companies are also thinking about that. <clears throat> How has that changed now that you are at, at, um, at Skyscanner? Um, <clears throat> How has that changed? I mean, did you, when you started Skyscanner, was that all there? Um, how much, how much did you need to influence what you've learned at previous positions um, in, in that regard? Um, yeah. What was, what was the situation there? Well, one of the things that we learned at Skype and Microsoft was the value of a design system to help um, give some sense of guidelines uh, across all these disparate uh, platforms. Um, when I joined Skyscanner, uh, there were two people uh, <laughs> uh, working on the kind of first iteration of that, and it was called Living Styles. It was basically, uh, as I recall, it was uh, CSS uh, and mix-ins to basically try and uh, bring some sensibility to all the different button styles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it started off very much in, in its infancy. And of course, uh, the work of Brad Frost in Atomic Design yeah. um, was a real helpful metaphor for the business to understand and for engineering to understand what we were trying to accomplish. So, um, yeah. Uh, and then when I came in, it was really kind of evangelizing that uh, at exec level as yeah. what were the benefits. And the main benefit there is speed to delivery and cost saving because you build once and reuse often. Right. Um, as it matures and as it develops, uh, we realized very quickly that we needed a slightly different mechanism to control uh, the experiments that we were running and to also control the themes. And the themes uh, were being derived from the partner brands like Virgin Atlantic or mm -hmm. Delta or British Airways, where we integrated their brand into our brand. So you needed to do runtime theming, um, which was quite a breakthrough. If I what's that? Sorry, what's what's how how do I um, understand that? So when a person uh, lands on Skyscanner and you want to buy the ticket from British Airways, mm -hmm. we can theme. Uh, the page according to British Airways branding oh. rather than ours. Okay. So you have at a very high level, you have theming switches. Um, and to those people that know design systems, uh, that's quite an important thing to be able to yep. do. Um, so yes, uh, it's been very successful. You can all check it out uh, on backpack.github.io. Uh, that's our public facing and you can pick up and use our design system if you want. Exciting. How, how do you, I mean, now that you switch to the, to the kind of travel, travel space, um, what, what, what would interest me is how, how do you think about innovation in the travel space? I mean, especially like when I look at a lot of the travel sites, they all look kind of similar. How do you, how do you differentiate? 
how, how do yes. you think about that topic? Well, that's a, that's a good topic. Um, hmm. I think one thing that we struggle with as a design community is the business goals are very heavily geared towards optimization and conversion mm -hmm. uh, of customers. One of the issues that I think, and this is my opinion, not necessarily the opinion of Skyscanner, so let's be clear about that, is you have uh, a frequency issue. Mm -hmm. Most people come to travel sites, regular folks, once or twice a year. There, there is a huge temptation to therefore bring out your entire arsenal of weaponry to close that sale, yeah. uh, which leads to uh, what, what I called perma-anxiety. Am <laughs> I really getting a good deal? Can I really trust yeah. this information? Um, and there's all these peripheral messaging, pressure messaging that comes in as well, like hurry, only two seats left, two rooms left. Um, and I think that taints the entire industry quite a lot. Um, which doesn't lead to long-term trust. The other part is because there is that, uh, there is that desire uh, for the business to uh, increase conversion and so on, mm -hmm. um, you end up going into experimentation uh, where you basically do multivariate tests on right. almost everything in mm -hmm. the funnel. Um, some things work, some things don't. Um, but when people are going to an average of, I think it is about an average of 20 different uh, travel sites before they make a booking, mm. um, there's no wonder that the patterns that each of them compound will have a a, an effect on the next one and the next one. So you end up with this kind of global homogenization due to experimentation where they all end up looking the same yeah. because the pattern and muscle memory associated uh, with each one is just compounded and compounded right. and it takes a very brave company to break out of that mold mm -hmm. um, but once one company has done that and really started pushing um, then others start to follow suit but it takes uh, a very brave business to do that because uh, how long will a business uh, keep going when the numbers right. aren't necessarily increasing? Um, so, of course, the rollback to a previous version is quite pronounced. Yeah, but I mean, uh, how, in, how 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 did you? Um, because you still have to sell something. Because I was uh, frankly, I, I I told you before before this talk when we when we had a quick chat, um, I was quite surprised when I actually went to Skyscanner and actually looked, ah, okay, so you don't do, you don't have these, like there's only two rooms left and you have only 10 minutes and stuff like that. <clears throat> How did you go to your bosses and have this conversation where it's like this conversion rate optimization business part versus, you know, um, the long-term effect of your user yeah. experience? How, how, how does a conversation like that go and, and how, would you other businesses, uh, how would you recommend other businesses to have this conversation inside their com uh, yeah. company? No, it's, 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 a, it's a very good question. Um, one of the reasons why I joined Skyscanner is the, the culture. Mm -hmm. And the culture is obviously made up of a set of principles and values. One of the key ones that uh, was very apparent was that the business always wanted to do the right thing for the customer. Um, now, that's easier said than done when you have to hit business targets. Um, but one of the key things before I joined as a proof of this, and this is the ultimate proof, okay, whether you really do put the customer first, is how much are you prepared to do the right thing for the customer mm. and hurt the bottom line of your business? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you one example. When doing a search on Skyscanner Web, and this is four years ago, uh, you were able to do comparisons with other sites, uh, which meant London, New York, here's the dates, search. Now, there were just some checkboxes, which was, do you want to compare with lastminute.com and with Kayak and so on? Mm -hmm. We would charge Kayak and so on an advertising fee 
for popping up their website under hours mm -hmm. as soon as you hit search. And users, guess what? Hated it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely hated it. So many uh, complaints. Why have you opened up all these browser windows? It's yeah. spamming me, etc., right. etc. But it was generating tens of millions a year. Right. And we said, no, mm -hmm. it's not good for the customer. It will not earn long-term trust. And that philosophy has been maintained. And therefore, internally and externally, we always say we are the traveler first travel company. We will always put the traveler's needs in front. So when it comes to things like pressure messaging, mm -hmm. hurry only two rooms left, right. and, and that kind of thing, we won't do it. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't help. It might get you short-term better conversion, but then ultimately everything starts to have to shout. But then, so can you talk a bit about more about the principles that you apply inside yep. Skyscanner? And I think almost more importantly than also, because everybody can have principles or, or like write them down somewhere, um, but how do you build teams around those principles? And, and I mean, how, how do you hire new folks that actually are in line with those principles? And, and how do you make sure that uh, those are consistently applied, even when you're not there, let's say? Yeah. Well, one of the best ways to affect behavior is to say that you're going to be measured on that behavior. Mm -hmm. So whenever we do performance reviews, it's how much has this person or this team uh, demonstrated they have put the traveler first. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is you have to evangelize all the user testing that, that goes on so you get yep. people as close to the customer as possible. Now, I know that I'm not saying anything particularly revolutionary or new. Um, but when you've got a company that does have a very clear uh, understanding of itself and its principles, there is, no, there is no point in having principles and values if you're just going right. to break them. You have to uphold them and you have to constantly repeat them. Um, and you have to constantly demonstrate uh, why something is good or bad for the, for the traveler. And that, that in turn brings out an internal mantra that then becomes part of the DNA of the company. Um, so, for, for example, in, internally, our DNA is traveler first, partner second, Skyscanner third, mm -hmm. in, in that order. It's always a balancing act. We're still running a business, but we will always default to putting the traveler first because that's how you ultimately build long-term trust. Um, one, one of the aspects I would just say, when actually starting to have this conversation about how do we codify it with, uh, with the leadership in the business, is what is our Achilles heel as a business? What are we, what are we actually trying to fix mm -hmm. uh, as a business model for the traveler? And I'm sure you're fairly familiar with Skyscanner is the way I characterized it was, it was like a wonderful calculator. Mm -hmm. a, a, a calculator is, you know, input, output, you get the result and it goes back in the drawer. Um, it's not very emotional, it's very functional. Mm -hmm. and that, you know and that's that's all good that gets you to a certain level but now put that in the context of travel which is what's called an asset heavy business which is largely around your memories and emotions mm -hmm. and so on um it's not just functional right. it's, it's incredibly like fashion or food yeah yeah mm -hmm. it, it, you, it makes you up and it it makes you the character that you are when you experience other uh, cultures and so on so having this blend of functional and emotional is really important and of course that's where designers really love to bring those things together mm -hmm. and uh, I, I well remember a, a company meeting where I gave a presentation to the whole company um, it was about making ourselves more than just a calculator we want a relationship with our customers um, you don't have a relationship with a calculator right. so what are the emotional components that we will start to layer in to show that we actually really do understand travel and we understand you, the customer. Um, and that was a fairly straightforward and easy conversation, if I'm being blunt. It just uh, required the design team to actually show what that might look like and how that might work uh, via prototypes and uh, 
you might call it concept cars mm-hmm. where you can you can kind of paint the north star of hey look this is where we think the the experience can go so then you start to break it down and then you you end up taking the business on that journey as we go well we're more than just about flights it's actually got to be about trips mm-hmm. because we're doing flights and hotels and car hire and etc so therefore the experience must shift from being flight centric to trip centric okay great because then we start to get a flight booked and then a hotel booked via attach mm-hmm. uh, and if you organize your model around that you actually then can accelerate the flywheel of the business um that, that's just one example of how one type of conversation went other conversations were far more emotional um and, and i can give you one more example um please uh this one kind of brings a, a few wry smiles to folks that heard me talk about this. But if I were to do it with the audience here, it would be um, hands up. Who has a partner? I'll do it with you, Sandra. Mm-hmm. You have a partner? No, not right now. Okay. Oh, well, then it falls a little bit flat. <laughs> if you were to have a partner, uh, my next question would be, do you love them? I surely would. You would. And then I would say, prove it. Mm-hmm. How would you prove that you love your partner? Show me the algorithm. Give me the number. Mm. Okay. You say, don't. no, that's not how it works. Of course, that's not how it works. You would say, look at my actions. Look at my behaviors. Look at my attitude towards my partner. Look at the things I do for them. How much time I want to spend with them. How much time I want to understand mm-hmm. what their hopes, fears, dreams are. Okay. That being said. Let's flip that round to the business. We put the traveler first, right? Mm-hmm. We love the traveler. We love our customer. Prove it. What would you do? What little thing would you do? In a relationship, it's not always the big gestures. Right. It's the little things you do every single day. Think about that. Think about that every time you're designing a system. How will it make the traveler feel? How will it demonstrate that you love them and put them first in everything that you do. And that seemed to hit a note with the majority of the company. So often it's just little stories yeah. and, it's, and it's a way to sell those seeds. Um, and it, what you're doing is you're setting up a, a whole grander kind of universal principle of what the business purpose is all about, which is to put the traveler first. Uh, and then you're setting out your vision and then you're setting out, well, if that's our vision, then how will we go about doing these things? That's your values, the things that you hold dear, the things that you won't ever do. Because often I find that it's the things you say you won't do are the more important things than the right. things that you will do. Because that gives you the guardrails. And then you start to develop your design language that, that reflects that. Do you have like a not-to-do list? You know, Do you have like um, a list um, that says like these are the things we never do or is that kind of implicit, implicitly... Um, given you, well I've given one already you know things like putting pressure messaging in our, right. in our apps mm-hmm. you start to develop these things as you go yeah and they become part of a uh, part of the DNA um, yeah um, yeah never never gossip about someone behind their backs yeah and, that's, that's another and, value yeah and I mean so how, how do you like I mean you're still you as a as a as a design leader are still in i mean you still have to make business decisions right i mean yep. how how do you how do you think about your role as a as a, let's say as a manager versus as a design leader you know what i mean like the the, the business aspects of it versus actually shaping these cultural things that you're now talking about i mean you yep. still have to and i and i guess many people in the audience have a similar um um, problem, right? I mean, on the one side you have these principles, and then on the other side you you have these business needs. And so, how do you um, solve that tension? Well, there's always going to be that tension. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to acknowledge that, um, and that's where you have to start making hard trade-offs. Um, and the business will always have to do that because it's running a business. So, as a leader. You, you're ultimately putting uh, your customer first 
but you're still running a business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. you're going to you're going to always have those in tension. Um, and there are very rigorous and long debates about mm -hmm. how to make those trade offs. Um, so when it comes to having uh, your sort of which hat you wear at any given time, um, the management side is really about the kind of the performance of the people and setting up the environment for them to flourish. Uh, leadership, in my opinion, is, is actually just simply this. It is to lead. Mm -hmm. It is to lead from the front. And then you have, uh, effectively, you are the role model. So it's do as I do, uh, not just do as I say. Um, and you're setting up the kind of principles for how management will operate. Yeah. Um, so when we, when we looked at this, and this is something that we have devised as a leadership team at Skyscanner, is sometimes people are actually quite reticent to say what they lead and what they're going to be held accountable for. Mm -hmm. And we have a very simple framework, which is in a given team, and we run tribes and squads, uh, in a squad you'll have a, a group of people, different disciplines and so on, and it's very important that that squad has an understanding of who leads what. Yeah. So we come together and we basically, before the meeting, you're given, uh, I think we use Trello, and there's a column which says, I lead, and I support, and I can't let go of. <laughs> and each person does this. No, that's a good one. Bl okay. Blindly. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then you come together and uh, you then have this, discussion which is oh i i thought i was leading that you say you're leading that mm -hmm. okay um okay well if you really want to lead that you'll lead it and i will support i will support you mm -hmm. and then uh, and you go round and you hash that out and it's very it's very important because then you go well if i'm leading it then i'm accountable for it yeah and you can hold me to account if i say i'm going to do it then, then i do it and if i don't <laughs> then then on me it is um, and then there's always these things that come up, which is what I feel I can't let go of. There's some, sometimes there's these emotional things that totally, just, <laughs> totally. You know, yeah. Oh, you know, if I let go of this, the, the business will fall apart mm -hmm. and you have that discussion and then, that, and then it's often, oh, really, if you did stop doing that, what would happen? Mm -hmm. And you realize actually there's a lot of things you can just let go of and it's okay. Um, and there's other things that actually, if you did let go of it, the business really would fall apart. So you have to have someone on that. And often those things are around uh, processes and governance, um, because that's really important that you uh, have an operational model that keeps the monitor of the health uh, and well-being of the team at, at large. So a very simple framework. We try and keep these as simple as we possibly can, uh, so that we can go as fast as we possibly can. But that's just one example of how we view, uh, you know. Uh, the different dimensions of leadership. I actually really liked um, one of the quotes that I read from you, which was like, or mantra, maybe you can say like, inspiring from the front and leading from the back, um, which is, which I like, I don't know if you have that from somewhere or if that's yours, but um, I, I really like that. I really like that. <laughs> well, I think sometimes you do actually have to just lead from the front and mm -hmm. you have to be, and. And it's, there is a general principle, which is uh, people are much more easily drawn than they are driven. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, that quote is probably a few years ago now. I might modify it since then. I yep. think my natural disposition as a leader is what's been characterized as a shepherd. Mm -hmm. um, uh, if you were to look at it as a shepherd, uh, the shepherd will lead the sheep out to green pasture and whilst the sheep are grazing and so on, the, the shepherd kind of retires and allows the sheep to autonomously right. you know, do their job and then leads them onto the next field and, and keeps watch over them. Um, so I suppose that's my metaphor in that respect. But um, uh, it's not cracking the whip from behind, like driving people in that right. way. It's not, it's not that at all. It's in servant leadership style. Um, so, yeah. so I guess it's like knowing when to went to be in the front and went to kind of um, re retreat into the back a little bit as well. Yeah, and, and I think that's important when you start defining um, what, what I have called 
the three A's. Um, now, this is not just me that's devised this. There are many brilliant minds here, and we've kind of, uh, over the years, uh, assembled this uh, framework. The three A's are this, accountability, autonomy, and alignment. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, You need all three, but which one is the higher priority over another? We have asserted that accountability is the primary thing that you want in people. Mm-hmm that they will do the things that they will say they'll do and they will own it. And they take ownership, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So if that's the primary one, fine. Then the next two is autonomy and alignment. Now, I will always favor giving someone more autonomy. There is never such a thing as 100% autonomy. No one has that. Right. You're always accountable to something or someone. And you're always trying to align to the business goals and objectives. Um, so the default is alignment, uh, sorry, the default is autonomy, knowing uh, that they will self-align because they are accountable. Now, that sounds a little bit kind of uh, circular reasoning, but you have accountability, and I'll talk more about this in my talk, uh, UX Live, mm -hmm. um, but it's been very helpful for people to understand what is expected of them. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, w I won't spoil that everything, but that's just a basic <laughs> outline of the framework. But also, I mean, you mentioned before, um, you know, putting processes in, in place. <clears throat> I mean, also in the design world. Um, and so how, how, do you, how do you make sure that while you have processes in place, um, that, uh, you know, the creative freedom of the team is not undermined? So yeah. that um, you kind of leave some room for, um, for creativity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, processes are good. Um, where I, I don't like processes is where you use process as a proxy for success. In other words, mm. well, we followed the process. Why hasn't it been successful? Right. 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 You, you can't do that kind of that, – that's, that's the wrong kind of reasoning. Um, processes are there to help people and keep the business in line in, a, in an aligned fashion and make it predictable for the business to understand when things will be done. Mm -hmm. That's all that a business ever wants is some level of predictability. Right. Um, that's why Scrum and Kanban and Agile have been so popular is because you can start to get people's cadence and velocity and so on. Um, so it gives some sense of predictability to the business. Um, but what we have done is whether you like it or not, and there's no particular creative framework that's perfect, is we looked at all the different um, frameworks and process patterns and so on, and we just very simply and lightweight adopted the double diamond um, mm -hmm. as, as the most basic uh, way of explaining to the business where we are in our process. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and that's been actually very helpful. Um, what you then do is obviously because within the first diamond, you can then exercise your creative freedom right. to explore. Like you open up. Yeah. You can open it up. So all we're mm -hmm. saying is, look, we're exploring, we're diverging, and in two weeks we're going to start to converge on us and we'll come to this point where we need to come together, agree, disagree, and commit to the, sol the solution that we're then going to go ship. And we try and do that as quickly as possible. Um, so that, that's it, really. It's not trying to be too clever about mm -hmm. it all. It's yep. just from a reporting perspective where you are um, in, in the process. One thing, though, to note, and I'm sure design folks will be interested in this, but, you know, you have uh, product design reviews, you have critiques, you have peer designing, you have work in progress sessions, you have all hands, you have all these ceremonies and rituals. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that is important, I think, um, is that, you need to explain where you are in the process in order to elicit what type of feedback you're really wanting. For example, in the first stages, um, you're probably about, I don't know, 20% on the journey. Right. In which case, the feedback is going to be quite high level. Right. It's not going to be prescriptive. It's going to be kind of directive. Yeah, keep going in this direction, just a little bit here. As you go through that and it gets closer and closer, things start to get 
way more precise and specific and often prescriptive. Move that here, do that there, do that here. And you've got to, you've got to be very clear on what type of feedback you're asking and therefore right. what type of feedback you're going to be given. So what you're saying is um, whenever you want feedback that you're clear about where Absolutely. you are in the process so you get Absolutely. the feedback that is actually appropriate. Absolutely. Right. Very, mm -hmm. very important. And of course, it's up to the person receiving the feedback whether they want to receive it or not. Right. Um, and I think as a leader, um, uh, the thing that I have learned is when to be directive and when to be prescriptive. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, and, and often the prescriptive uh, comes when things aren't necessarily being aligned. Uh, and therefore, you can say to the team, okay, uh, you know, what I need to do here is align you to this, and this is the reason why I'm maybe intervening, mm -hmm. or maybe why I'm giving you this very, very specific, because maybe there's only in a matter of hours before we have to do this. Right. Um, but as soon as you outline why you're doing that, um, I've never really had any pushback from that, as mm -hmm. long as you're clear. It's when it's uh, the wrong feedback at the wrong time in the wrong right. order that it just people are like, oh, I can't deal with it. Yeah. Um, so. We've and it also, I mean, it also sometimes if it's too direct, if it also undermines then the the ownership that um, you kind of gave the person in the first place if you're not understanding it when you're giving feedback or if it's if it's at the yeah. at, at what point um, you're giving yeah. the feedback um, absolutely yeah yeah I was gonna say one of the things that we often joke about is when people give feedback and it's mm -hmm. phrased as a question but actually it's a request <laughs> yeah in other words like we all have, know you that. Thought of, have you thought about right. moving the button from left to the right-hand side? Right. Just remove the question mark at the, at the end yeah. and, just, and just say what you mean. Totally. Um, yeah. And it's training people to ask the right questions. And there's a great book, by the way, which is mm -hmm. uh, Leading by Asking Questions. Leading by Asking Questions. Okay. Yeah. Noted. Um, there's, that's, that's actually an interesting thing, right? I mean, also the directness of feedback. So you manage what 50 60 people all over the world i mean how do you how do you also give feedback especially design feedback um across cultures that probably also varies or or, or do you have yeah. like a process enough that 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 doesn't come up much anymore or because i always um, feel like culture is a big element of that as well yes um this is why i sort of you go through these different kind of uh process and rituals uh, that, a, that a team goes through at different levels of scale. Um, as you get larger, obviously, you have to um, be very clear, and I have to be very clear with my leadership team, mm -hmm. that they are accountable for driving that piece of work with their team. Yeah. Um, and in, what an intervention would look like, uh, then I describe and go, if it's all going fine, you won't hear from me, and it, that's proper delegation. Mm -hmm. If I'm still touching it, I haven't really delegated. Right. So they have the, every right to tell me, back off, you know, I've got this, um, you know, you've delegated this to me, I'm responsible, you should hold me to account. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, uh, when you're going across different teams and um, different locations, it's, it's really important then to under, for them to each understand what they're accountable for and what they what what stream of work they really own and how them and how they should work together because yeah. they're that you know we're peers um uh, so i'll be honest with you when it comes to geo disbursement like we have it is really tough there is there's no way of sugarcoating it um the different cultures, different languages, uh, the nuance of how designers like to convey things, and it can be quite non-specific and emotional and mm. not very practical and so on. And we're constantly trying to improve on that. Uh, what we have found, though, is that when people are paired up in the right ways, that's often the quickest way to to get feedback and, uh, and get things moving. Um, it's about really de clearly describing you're on the hook for this. Yeah. Uh, you have this degree of accountability, this degree of um, autonomy. Here's how you can make decisions. Um, if 
you need any more information, I am here. Um, ask me these types of questions, otherwise you can go fix these. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we, I, I took the entire team through the accountability ladder when I first joined. Um, I can talk to people uh, about this, um, uh, but I don't know whether people would be interested, but the accountability is a great framework for uh, how we talk about holding people to account. Yeah, I think, I think that's very good advice actually. Um, because it's, I, I just hear this coming up over and over that culture is an issue, but I like that the <clears throat> framework of accountability because it it can span across cultures. Actually, I think that's very um, that's yeah. very good advice. Also, um, um, we have uh, I just saw we have we're already uh, only ten minutes left. Um, so okay, um, wow. yeah, it goes fast. It goes fast. Uh, I, I have one last question, so we might go five minutes over, but I really wanted to ask that, like, because um, you you told me before that <clears throat> there's an announcement, you're going to make an announcement somewhere next week. Um, how do you think about, like, incremental design changes versus, like, actually, um, you know, kind of starting from scratch and rethinking a whole um, website or app or experience? Because I see with a lot of the processes that we talked about before, it's very incremental. And we, and we sometimes don't take a step back um, from, from something that might got old and into one direction. Um, and maybe the, the times changed um, that, that mm. it's sometimes maybe necessary to do um, like a bigger uh, yeah. uh, change. How, how, how do you think about that? And after this answer, we're going to go into the Q&A. So please ask okay. questions and upvote. No, thanks for the question. It's um, it's one that I think we've had the most often here at Skyscanner. Mm -hmm. um, we have a very successful and profitable business as a meta search company. Um, but like we said, it does uh, have an Achilles heel, which is its input, output. Now go get it yourself on BA. Bye-bye, right. you're on your own. Right. Uh, that that is that's tricky because we're very profitable on that model um and that's very good um so in some ways as a designer you're not looking to seek to disrupt that um per se but as a business uh, you are very aware that if you don't build the thing that kills you someone else will mm -hmm. so you're constantly looking uh, at your flanks um one of the things, as I described that Achilles heel, means that if you're waving goodbye to every single customer, how can you really service that customer right. through their entire life cycle? So uh, I know you just alluded to some things that we might be releasing. Uh, so watch this space over the next couple of months as we seek to fix that. <laughs> um, in other words, becoming a transactional business right. where we will mm -hmm. actually take the bookings ourselves. We successfully launch that in Singapore and Australia and mm -hmm. that'll be coming to other markets very soon which then means that we can take care of the customer that in a, in effect was a collective decision mm -hmm. not just with myself but with product with engineering yeah. with leadership uh, and you start to model that out what that means for the business and it becomes the thing that is very necessary then for the business to go through so uh, what we didn't did is uh, you can carry on incrementally on the current business, mm -hmm. but you need to be exponentially minded on the new business model. Right. You can take much greater risks and go much faster. When it comes to uh, the operational risk, the risk register, um, there are operational parameters where if we want to change something in the product, um, I don't know, uh, let's pick something very trivial. Let's change the button color, the main CTA color on the website. Um, because we believe it will bring a bit more of a harmonious uh, uh, design and it will convey our values a bit better, etc. All this kind of stuff that designers will do. Um, the business is like, okay, uh, here's your operational uh, parameters. You can go minus 0.5% uh, on, on revenue, right. on total or GMV. Um, and if you go below that, you can't, you have to roll back. But if it's within those tolerances, um, 
you can you can proceed. So uh, you need to establish those kind of rules of governance for making changes, even when it's incremental. Um, but the bottom line is, uh, you will always end up in an incremental place right. uh, with certain business right. things that that you know work because you've got to keep the business going on. It's then to find the the next things that you can be far more uh, risk taking uh, to to try and drive the business forward in, in other ways. So you're doing it almost like in, in separate teams, basically, separate task forces almost to then work on a new product in that um, sense. Yeah, in some ways, that's the, that's, mm -hmm. the, that's the easiest way to do it. You then do have certain kind of cultural uh, problems that arise from that, which is, hey, was, why wasn't I put on the new thing and why am I still on the old thing? <laughs> right, of course. Um, Everybody wants so, to be on a new thing, or many people so, probably, yeah. Yeah, so you have to be careful on how you how you balance that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so actually, um, we now go into the Q and A. So people already um, asked a lot of questions, and um, we start with the well. Let's not start with the most upvoted one with the boss question. Let's do that at the end. We have some more um, some more time for the other questions. So Andy Robson asks, um, can you build a culture from the bottom up by influencing directors to take it seriously? I mean, I guess versus, you know, um, ha does it have to come from, from top down? Like you maybe mentioned when you came in, it was kind of already there, this strong culture. Like how, but I, but I also know you brought about culture shifts. So um, can, you, can you elaborate that? Bottom up versus top yeah. down? Well, the simple answer to that, Andy, is, Absolutely. And if you have a good leadership team that cares about culture, they will listen to all stratas of the business. Mm. And they must make themselves very available and create that emotional, you know, psychological safety so that people can say, say what's on their mind without fear of repercussion. Um, so, yes, you can and you should be able to. There's always going to be a meeting in the middle. Uh, there are some things where, you know, executive are operating at a different altitude to the rest of the business and therefore uh, will always see things in a, in a probably a longer term arc than the rest of the business. So you're just constantly just trying to map that to what is currently known and felt in the business and taking what you might call is the, uh, the main bias of the company um, forward on that on that journey. But yeah, as uh, Christ it happens all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we, we can, you know, say things, uh, make them very apparent uh, to leadership and leadership listen. Um, one of the ways in which we do that just quickly is we use a, a product called Culture Amp. Um, and we use that every year. Culture Amp, the, you're saying? Culture, cu culture Amp, mm -hmm. yeah. And that's basically, it's a wonderful tool that uh, surveys the entire company on many different facets of team and organizational health. Um, and that does influence the culture and the decisions that the that leadership take. So yes, there's many ways to do it. Mm -hmm. But you've got to be conscious about it, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Next question from Avinash. Um, do you have a specific process to feed customer insight back to the business? Hmm. Um, yes, we do. Um, I wouldn't say, it's particularly codified, but the process at the moment is uh, one of qualitative and quantitative. Um, on the qualitative side, that would be in my team, user research, mm -hmm. which can go and generate insights uh, on, on a certain time horizon. Um, but I would suggest that if you go too far out, you don't actually connect those back into mm. the business to actually act upon in the near term. So you have to choose where in the time horizon you're actually placing your research and insights. Um, and it's very important that you do that in a business of our scale with quantitative data as well. So right. user research and data science, you know, get, get uh, put together. Uh, and the way I characterize that is if quantitative is saying what is happening, yeah. the qualitative says why it happens. Mm -hmm. And you need both for the business to run. And that actually goes already into the next question. I mean, it's a bit um, 
so maybe we can we can talk a bit more about that. So does Skyscanner use A/B test or I guess multivariate testing um, at all to for all new features or like I mean, do how much how much quantitative data um, do you do you gather for new features um, versus like maybe you rely more on qualitative data? Um, how how do you do you have like a split or does it vary on the situation? Like how, how do you think about that whole research, quantitative and qualitative? How, 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 do, how do I have to envision that? Hmm. Well, well, to answer the, answer the question, mm -hmm. yes, we do yeah. do multivariate testing. Um, what we have learned though is that whilst you can test everything, not necessarily everything that you test is important. Mm -hmm. um, and it can slow you down and you can end up in sort of analysis paralysis where everything that you do doesn't actually really change anything. It's just another change. What you're really trying to do is drive business metrics better. Um, so when it comes to qualitative, I would say that that informs the concept um, uh, and, how, and what the customers really care about when you're trying to develop a new feature. Mm -hmm. uh, and you try and protect that at all costs because that's your, effectively your, your MVP, if I were to use a loaded term. Right. Um, and then when shipping that, you're, you're testing the variability, uh, the, the variable aspects of that concept um, to see which bits have cause and effect that drive an improvement in the metrics. Um, but uh, like I said before, we, we were testing absolutely everything. We are doing less of that now. Mm -hmm. um, because we actually want to take more of a, a sort of a, a bolder approach and a courage of our convictions that this is actually better. Uh, naturally, the proof is in, in the pudding. So uh, right. very simply, when we have a new feature, um, we will put it out to a control cohort. I mean, those that know how to do experimentation will know what I'm talking about. Um, you'll have a control, you'll have a certain cohort, You'll do that maybe to 1%. You'll, you'll see what it's like over a period of time. Uh, and then you can either ramp up to see if there are any kind of false positives or negatives, um, ghosts in the data, etc. cetera. Um, and that's all very scientific. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but it, it, it can lead you uh, into that incremental mindset, right. uh, which is you've got to take things uh, on balance. And I guess this already kind of answers this question from Will as well a little bit. I mean, how did you go about understanding how users make choices about flights? Maybe it goes into what you mentioned at the very end on what's going to change with, with um, Skyscanner. And how did um, what you learn from them um, affect your team's design choices? So I guess it goes a little bit into that. But maybe you can um, elaborate. Yeah. I mean, how do you also prioritize? You know, I mean, how do you, how do you what you learn then prioritize into what's actually important. Yeah. Um, so understand, sorry, I'm just reading the question. Yes. Understanding how users make choices about flights and how did what you learn from them then affect your team? Um, well, in effect, our results page, we call it the day view, which is your own specific days where you want to fly. Um, that's effectively like a new home page. That's where all the traffic is. So you have a, a, an amazing amount of uh, eyeballs on there. Um, you have a lot of data that you can analyze there, what filters they're applying, uh, what they're trying to do in a, uh, with, with the information, how quickly they go in, find out more information, come back out, etc. Um, and it's quite actually easy to determine what, what they uh, care about. Where it becomes tricky is uh, they make they actually exhibit different patterns on different platforms and in different markets, uh, and therefore that's about product market fit. So um, I'm trying to think about what we what would be one of the things they care about. Um, here's here's an example. Um, we released about a year ago uh, a, an eco feature. Let's call it an eco feature. It's just a simple badge that when you're searching from flights to New York, 
we will badge the most uh, sustainable and ecologically friendly uh, flights. And that's based on uh, insights that an emerging trend that people are caring more and more about the environment mm -hmm. and want to make uh, better choices. So that's the insight. Then it was, well, what data do we have available that we could actually start to address this and talk to that audience? Um, and uh, there was a whole lot of uh, data being crunched about that. Um, so we, sh we shipped that, which was based on, here's the, uh, the aircraft type that flies that route. Here's how it's calculated and so on. And then you're doing a comparison. So it's, it's basically the lesser of, all, lesser of out of all the evils. Right. Um, and one of the things that, that we learned from that is um, people were getting in touch with us uh, very, very quickly, just kind of going, I can't believe you're doing that feature. That is amazing. I can now actually make mm -hmm. more informed decisions. Um, and that starts to speak to our mission as a business, which is to lead the global transformation to modern and sustainable travel. So that gives you one example, Will. I hope that was interesting. There were lots more, slightly more boring ones, um, but you can see that feature in, in the product itself. Yeah, that's very interesting. Do you have, so we have to slowly close here. So I, I saw a few people are asking about like your favorite resources, like books and what kind of design tools do you like, prototyping tools and books and any mm. other resources. Um, do you have some? You can just mention them and then um, we'll put them in the chat um, and oh, for people if okay. you have them in, on your mind. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it, it's one of my sayings, but if, um, we produce a lot of uh, flat mocks, don't we, as designers. Uh, if a picture paints a thousand words, a prototype will save a thousand meetings. Mm. And in that case, I am a big fan of FramerX. Mm -hmm. FramerX. Framer X. Oh boy, that's good stuff. <laughs> um, uh, yes, of course, there's Sketch, there's uh, Figma, there's Marvel, there's Principle, there's Envision, blah, blah, blah. There, there's so many, but um, I, I'm not afraid in saying that Framer X is my favorite. All right. Um, so that, that's on a tool. Yeah, we use Dropbox. We love Dropbox. We'd be lost without Dropbox. <laughs> uh, do we love Jira? We've got a love-hate relationship with Jira. Right, that's many. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but having said that, we do love Atlassian. We think they're a great company. Um, and one of the resources there is their playbooks, uh, their video play, uh, playbooks on things like how to do a pre-mortem. Uh, they're really lovely resources. Um, mm -hmm. that's, that's good operational governance of a team to understand all those, all those methods. Um, in terms of... I'd say my favorite books. Um, I there's so many. I probably I, I okay. I, I'll reveal my little cheat. Um, my yeah. cheat is this: it's a little app, and it's called Blinklist. Mm, yeah, I know Blink. Uh, you may have heard of it. Um, yeah. it. It enables you to read the main premise of a book without having to read the entire book. And what I do is I use that to kind of skim it, and then I will go and read the entire book. Um, so that's a good way of kind of getting the pricey, the summary, etc., yep. um, and then dig deeper into the examples. Um, some of the books uh, that I've read over the years that have been uh, very helpful to me, um, there is uh, Jim Collins, From Good to Great. That's mm -hmm. great. That's, that's uh, very good. Um, uh, yeah, the one that we mentioned earlier, um, what other ones are there? Uh, I think deep work is very helpful. Mm -hmm. And then more recently, I think the two books I've enjoyed a lot are, uh, I think it's Jake Knapp's book, uh, Making Time, mm -hmm. and uh, Julie Zoe's book, uh, The Making of a Manager. In fact, The Making of a Manager uh, comes very close to home. Um, and uh, very good examples. Um, so, and of course, her writings are, are, are wonderful. So, uh, kudos to to Julie. Um, there's so many. I, um, yeah, I, I'll have a think about some more to send to the. Yeah, you can always you can always share them with me, and I will share them um, with the audience after the after the after we're finished. Um, if you want to send me uh, your reading list. Um, okay. 
So then we come to the final question. Why Steve called Buzz? 19 upvotes. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> well, it's a real anticlimactic answer. Uh, that's uh, okay. <laughs> back, back in the day when um, Toy Story came out, oh. I think that was about, mm -hmm. uh, someone uh, who shall remain nameless, but who uh, is the uh, founder of us two, uh, I won't. I won't make him nameless. Matt Miller Mills um, at us two uh, gave me my nickname whilst we were at uni together. Okay, and, and it stuck. And um, it stuck. So, so now I embrace it. I now I embrace <laughs> it. Um, so um, yeah, sorry, folks. I, I'm sure you wanted some big elaborate story, but that's all it is. Great, great. Thank you very much. Maybe the very last thing, I mean, is there anything you would like to kind of instill into the audience or leave the audience with um, um, that's, that's important to you, um, some kind of advice you, you would like to give to, to aspiring design leaders, anything like that? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> um, and I don't really want to sound like, I suppose, like everyone else, but um, I suppose my, my personal mantra, um, uh, and this was passed down to me from my, my grandparents and my father and so on, is a very simple saying, which is stoop to conquer. Mm. Don't have hubris or ego or pride. Uh, really seek to understand where the other person's coming from, what they're doing, and take the low position to win them round and then lead them and draw them on that journey. Uh, don't try and crack the whip or, you know, go in competitive and argumentative and gearing for a fight. Um, never in my experience has that ever really produced good results. And it doesn't well, produce good trusting relationships either. Well, that's a beautiful... Um notes to uh, to leave the audience with where can they reach you i mean should they email you should they follow you on twitter what um, um what's your go-to i am on twitter i'm on linkedin um it's steve buzz pierce mm -hmm. um you can email me i can't promise that i'll get back um but perhaps we'll start off on dm me on and follow me on twitter not that I'm trying to get my numbers up or anything. I just think <laughs> it's probably the easiest way to, to filter things, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I'll do my best to get back to folks. Um, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for hosting me. Wonderful. Thank you very, very much. It was very insightful. And I'm sure folks um, that listened to you uh, learned a lot today. Have Cheers. a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.